Hey there. Welcome to Lockdown with Kumar. I'm your host Abhinit Kumar, the founder of this podcast. This show is a deep dive on habits and rituals that make us better, startup opportunities and tech trends that create exponential impact, conversations about life, but mostly venture stories. Join me in this journey as I talk to passionate upcoming leaders from diverse backgrounds, learning together on how to achieve limitless success through ambition, drive, purpose and vision. In today's episode we have with us Aditya Narvekar, a dear friend, a colleague and one of the first folks I call when I have questions about the markets or when I want to brainstorm all things finance. I first met Aditya at American Airlines Dallas headquarters. We both do internal consulting for the leadership here. And the first thing that struck me about him was his ability to ship projects fast and articulate complex narratives in simple, easy to understand ways. Aditya, welcome to the show. Thank you, Abhinit. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you on starting your own podcast. Um, content creation is something that I've always admired and it's an honor to be the first guest on what I believe will be a very interesting and formative series. Thanks man it's a start and I'm excited about sharing insightful stories from ambitious folks like yourself who will go on to change the world. So begin with if you could walk us through your story. Yes, definitely. So uh, my career has mostly spanned in finance which was actually interesting because my undergraduate was in engineering. So it was a little bit of a weird transition there but my mother um is a commercial banker uh, she's been her whole life and my father is a real estate broker so the foundations of finance were really there and the 2008 crisis was what really motivated me to build a career in finance ironically because i was so fascinated with how it all played out what complex derivative instruments were used during the financial crisis and that really uh, it really clicked with me and so even after engineering i found my calling on a proprietary trading desk at Motilal Oswal which at the time was one of the biggest financial services firms in India and probably still is right and from there i went on to work at a couple of other firms in different avenues of investment management for over the next 3 or 4 years mm-hmm. uh, i did my mba from the university of texas uh, i wanted to get exposure into international markets and i did an internship at um a fundamental investment management firm called Nuance Investments um in okay. Kansas City who had some great performance over the past several years so you can say that i've really explored the spectrum of investment management in terms of whether it was short duration high frequency trading or the more traditional fundamental stock picking right so from engineering to finance who would have guessed that huh uh, this is there are lots of folks believe me <laughs> oh sorry what there are lots of folks who did that believe me <laughs> yeah, no, I mean especially around the time you mentioned 2008 2009 I can see a lot of people like trying to build a career later in finance things were starting up so this is exciting Aditya. Uh so so you got to follow the markets in India as well as the US and not just as someone on the outside uh, you saw the inner workings of it. So could you give some context on how the two markets compare the US market versus the India market? Yeah, so I can say that I've been really fortunate experience working both in you know the world's largest and the most developed capital market as well as what i think is the most interesting emerging market and that is india um so 
in terms of size, right? The US is obviously much bigger. I think it's around a 35 right. to 40 trillion market cap. India's is just 2 trillion. So that's that's a big difference and that's primarily down to the world's most valuable companies being listed in the United States. I mean, if you talk about the Amazon, Microsofts, mm-hmm. um they're all America based and so that's what really increases the US market size. But actually, in terms of breadth, uh, India, uh, surprisingly for most people, I think has more number of listed companies than the U.S. does. So I think the U.S. has about three thousand five hundred now, and India's, or at least the Bombay Stock Exchange, which is like the largest exchange in India, has about five thousand. So um, that's something that's interesting. I had no idea that India had more listed companies than the U.S. I mean, what could be the reason, according to you? So this has been. a trend in the US really so mm-hmm. for the past couple of de- decades the number of listed companies in the US has been on the decline and so if you see in the 90s the number of companies in the US might have been more than what it was in India at that point but uh, companies are choosing to stay private in the US for longer because they have a lot of access to private capital from venture capital funds and right. there are some companies who are going private in in during the time of a reorganization because they have access to private equity capital so uber and lyft just recently went public they were private for the longest time even if mm-hmm. they were very valuable and airbnb is still private and dell went private in 2013 uh, as an example of something that was public before and went private so all these trends um, are probably the right. reason why the number of companies are less so basically access to capital you know plays a big role here yeah it does it does that's the private market infrastructure in the us is really strong way stronger than what it is in even some of the other developed markets let alone india and so this is what brings me to the second point of comparison you know it's really right. the infrastructure related to the public markets these are the institutions you know whether it is broker dealers or clearance authorities or even right. regulations that make capital markets function efficiently right and right. um in these terms at least for the stock market the public stock market india is not far behind us so sebi which is the sec equivalent in india it's pretty good at doing its job in preventing financial fraud and you have access to capital markets um from a variety of broker dealers interesting i mean that's that's good news i guess it is yeah but i think what the third point of difference is which i think is the biggest is the retail participation rate so i think the us participation rate i read somewhere was around 50% i mean that might be on the higher end but at least okay. the consensus is that in all developed markets the retail participation rate is around 20 to 40% um whereas in india that's 3 to 5% I mean when I was working there it was something around 3% wow. might have increased a little bit over the past 3 or 4 right. years. Um so that's a big big difference and what I think is a big opportunity for this whole space in India to tap into a really high total addressable market. Wow. I mean that's a big gap 3 to 5% versus 20 to 40% in other economies like you know the US. Um, I mean what what could be the reason? So I think a big part is that savings in developed markets so specifically in the US it's a lot of 401k plans so right. all these plans are managed by mutual fund managers or uh you know professional investors like fidelity or vanguard so you get automatic exposure to public equities as 
as a retail investor, right? Whereas in India, a lot of people park their savings in bank deposits where the interest right. rates are really good. And it's it's not bad. I mean, it's a really good way to get in on the compounding. So uh, I'm sure even when you talk to your parents or when I, had to, I talk to my parents, a lot of their mm-hmm. savings are in these fixed deposit for 10 or 20 years. That's right. right. Yeah. So that's that's a big part. And secondly, I think the challenge is that Indians are culturally risk averse. And so the stock market is perceived to be very volatile. And even amongst people who aren't in this industry, it's perceived to be as something akin to gambling. So that's another reason why Indians just don't like to invest in stocks uh, typically. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, Adita, this is where we can pivot the conversation towards investment tech platforms, especially digital platforms that allow retail and institutional investors to research and invest in multiple financial assets. Now, these platforms, in my opinion, are helping improve access to investing and making it more mainstream, which, you know, according to you, is probably needed in the emerging markets more, right? Now, you and I, we both use Robinhood for investing, like many others in our peer group. And when you go to their website, they say that their mission is to democratize finance for all that they believe that everyone should have access to the financial markets. And, you know, that's how they've built Robinhood from the ground up to make investing friendly, approachable, and understandable for newcomers and experts alike. So what's your take on such investment tech platforms? I'd love to hear more about, you know, the Indian platforms, the US platforms as such. Yeah, so I think these platforms like Robinhood and Zerodha in India, they've done an excellent job of bringing cutting-edge technology to what really was a somewhat archaic industry, right? right? So I myself was a user of Zerodha for my personal investments, even when I was working at Edelweiss. And I think the big part of appeal, yeah, and, and really like, and Edelweiss gave me discounted brokerage rates, but even then I used to use Zerodha because the the ease of use of these platforms in every sense is really amazing so how quickly you can sign up and start trading you know they have great user interfaces for their mobile applications i can track my positions seamlessly and they also have some nice to have features so i think Robinhood just rolled out cash management or right. instant access to funds so i don't have to wait two days for the funds to get transferred from from my bank mm-hmm. and even things like fractional shares so i can buy a fraction of the shares that i want to buy so it was all the usability that makes me want to use these apps more as opposed to the discounting rates or the brokerage rates itself, you know, because personally I don't make 10 or 15 trades a day. Um, right. Beyond, at which point the brokerage rates really matter to me that much. So it's more the tech aspect as opposed to the discount aspect. No, oh, makes a lot of sense. And I also, you know, love the ease with which I can set up an account in any of these platforms. Earlier, if I had to invest in the stock market in India, I would go to a bank branch, I would register a DMAT account. The user experience of the platform wasn't mobile first for a lot of banks. And overall, there was a lot of friction there. Last time, you know, when I was in India this March, I saw my sister use Zerodha Varsity Mobile, which is basically a Zerodha app, which has an easy to grasp collection of stock market lessons with in-depth coverage and illustrations. Now, if Zerodha didn't have that easy onboarding or that superior user experience you just talked about, many youngsters like her wouldn't give investing a chance. And also the fact that Robinhood, Zerodha, and the other platforms that commission-free makes people experiment a little. 
they aren't really worried about being charged for making an investment. And I think that's a very cool aspect when you're trying to lure in more customers. Uh, but then it makes me wonder, Adi, how do these platforms make money? Yeah, so that's um, that's really interesting. So I think a big part of their revenue model is what I call what is called float. So to put it simply, I right now might have fifty to sixty dollars in my Robinhood account that's just mm-hmm. sitting there because I sold some shares and I haven't transferred it to my bank. Right. Similarly, right. a lot of people also have some amount of spare cash in their Robinhood account. So Robinhood or Zerodha can invest this into risk-free securities for a low return on a day-to-day basis and earn revenue that way. So um, at scale, this is this can be a significant source of revenue if they have a lot of users doing this. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think the second piece is margin trading. So if I want to borrow money um, to buy some shares, Robinhood will lend me money and charge me an interest on it. That is going to be at a relatively high rate, high rate right? So that's the second piece of revenue. And the third piece is, I think, payment order flow, where they will direct your trades through some designated third parties, uh, market makers and such, for which right. they get some rebates. And I think this, this topic is a little controversial, but that's another way that they make money. And finally, I think they have some, um, that they can also charge uh, users directly. So I think Robinhood has premium accounts or Zerodha charges directly for any derivative trades or right. intraday trades, or even Robinhood will charge you if you make too many trades in the day. So that's another source of revenue, not so much as a source of revenue per se, but it's kind of to keep their platforms running seamlessly and discourage like high trading activity from retail users. Right. So you said investing in securities and then lending and then uh, I guess subscription is another revenue model you mentioned. And mm-hmm. these guys are clearly the leaders in this in this investment tech space. Now, I was looking at Zerodha's venture capital arm, Rain Matter, um, mm-hmm. where they incubate other emerging fintech startups. And they have quite an exciting portfolio. I, I was wondering what are some other investment tech platforms that you are excited about? Yeah. So... When we talk about this whole retail investing space, right, Zerodha and Robinhood, they were really the first to solve the access problem, which was, I think, the first problem that needed to be solved. Like, How do you get easy access to the capital markets? Right. So if you had to do this 10 years ago in India, you had to go through a very archaic process of opening DMAT accounts and banks, and it would take several days for you to get in your first trade. With Zerodha or Robinhood, I can do it. Um, within three minutes, I think. Right. So that's 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 a good problem to solve. And in the same way, Invested Finance is a firm which has solved another problem where they allow you to access U.S. markets from India. So they've really figured out a neat thing because there are a lot of regulatory challenges uh, mm-hmm. and logistical challenges and cross-border transactions as such. And it's really useful because if you're a retail investor in India or if I was to move back to India tomorrow, I'd probably want to get exposure to the world's most valuable and innovative companies. And if they're based in the U.S., I'd want to invest in them. And so vested finance solves that problem for me. It also helps me that if I was to move to India tomorrow and I have to transfer all my holdings from Robinhood, I can just sell them on Robinhood and buy them on vested at the same time. Mm. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So that was the access problem. I think the other problem worth solving is 
you know, constructing portfolios based on individual goals or preferences with respect to investments. So you and I aren't the same and we, we invest with different purpose in the broad equity markets, right? So index funds, and I think they're one of the most effective ways to invest. They really give you exposure to a broad market portfolio, but there is nothing curated for your own specific needs. And that's where I think products like Titan West come in. So Titan West is, they market themselves as a US-based hedge fund for retail investors. And the way they operate is they will pick good stocks for you, which are fundamentally sound and high quality. And they will also add a personalized hedge that will really curate the portfolio to your specific risk and return objectives. So it's like a personalized hedge fund. Hmm. Um, that, that sounds interesting, Ali. Yeah, yeah, for retail investors. So that's that's I think it's, a, it's it could be an interesting platform. And the other thing is, I think there's a company called Small Case in India. So they have introduced what is known as thematic investing. So based on your knowledge or understanding of your markets, if you want to get exposure to certain themes, for example, um, electric mobility, right, or right. rural demand in India or um, just textile demand in Bangladesh or something like that. You would be able to get exposure to these themes through small case because they have constructed portfolios that are designed to gain if these kind of themes catch on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And some people might say that, you know, this is, you know, taking a gamble on the specific theme and then the market is efficient and all that. But a lot of times such strategies pay off. So, if you would have invested in remote communication stocks, even 10 days after COVID-19 pandemic hit, you would have outperformed the S&P by a lot right now. Or even right. if you would have just invested in FANG stocks in mid-March, you would have still outperformed the S&P by a lot right now. So uh, themes actually do work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so those are interesting. Apart from these, I think some of the platforms that give retail investors access to alternative investments. So, for example, cryptocurrencies, which Robinhood, I think, already provides. Um, right. Those areas are really interesting. Paxos is an interesting company based here in the U.S., which allows you to access digital gold. That's not like a gold ETF, but they already they actually store gold in like a secure vault in London for you and you don't have to manage any aspect of it. All you have to do is press a button on your cell phone. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and I think there's a company called Covera in India that allows you to do something similar. So there's tons of stuff that in this alternative space um, that can be done for retail investors. Oh, this is this is exciting. A uh, huge list. I was particularly interested in Paxos. I mean, I had not heard about this company before. I'm going to check it out. Uh, but also cool that you mentioned small case and did you know that they were uh, one of the startups rain matter uh, the zerodha fund they've partnered with and so clearly the new players are you know investing heavily in the tech space right and that's where it makes me wonder how the big guns the motilal oswals of the world how are they adapting to this so the legacy players are they're also innovating, right? But just probably not at the same pace as these new entrants have. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, you know, the legacy players have more resources and they have a diverse source of revenues to fall back on. I mean, these guys make money from broking, lending, investment banking. They have real estate mortgage lending. And I think some of them do even private equity now. So they really have a lot of resources to be able to innovate in the space if they want to. But the problem is that all of them essentially face 
the same cannibalization problem that a lot of successful legacy players face in any industry, you know, that right. how are they going to pivot from the traditional business model, you know, the kind of the salespeople and the relationship manager approach where they build close relationships with clients. Zero and Robinhood do none of that. So how are they going to pivot from the legacy model to the new model, uh, which is a no frills sort of service? Um, it's the same thing that happened in a lot of industries, you know, whether you talk about IBM or SAP mm-hmm. or even Nokia, it's that they're afraid of cannibalizing their existing business. Right. No, it'll, it'll be interesting to follow the space Aditya, over the next few years and, you know, see what happens next. I'm, I'm really excited about this space. Are you? I am for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about what's going to happen in this space and uh, I'm excited to see what's coming and keeping track of it. Nice. Nice. Uh, before we finish this episode, I intend to ask everyone who comes on the show, Aditya, this one particular question, you know, what is one habit or ritual you abide by? could be something recent that you've picked up or anything that has stayed with you over the years. Yeah. Oh, actually this is, um, this is a good question for something that I picked up recently, maybe like two or three months ago. Uh, and that's meditation, right? So, um, Interesting. with all that's been going on, uh, with the COVID-19 crisis and just how busy we've been at work and, um, my other interests. Uh, so right. meditation what I do is early in the morning, um, first thing, I meditate for about an hour and that helps me really clear my head and be a lot more productive throughout the day as opposed to what I used to be before. Um, so the way it's where, and I encourage uh, you to listen to Naval um, Ravikant on Twitter. So I followed his technique where he encourages people to sit for at least an hour and then just let whatever happens happen and sort of like be an observer from uh, a different dimension. Uh, I know it sounds really complicated, but I, but I would encourage people to uh, listen to what he has to say on meditation. But it's definitely improved my productivity throughout the day. Interesting. So how does it work again? If you could shed some more light over it. So, so while, I'm, while I'm just sitting there with my own thoughts, right? A lot of the anxieties that used to keep propping up throughout the day, pretty much. I'm able right. to, I'm able to understand the source of those anxieties and resolve them while I'm sitting there for one hour or have an action plan to be able to resolve them throughout the day. So for example, if, if I'm anxious about, let's say a deliverable that I have for work at say like right. 2 PM or whatever, um, in the morning, I'm able to resolve why that anxiety exists in the first place and develop an action plan in order to, you know, uh, resolve it so that it goes away. As you can tell, I absolutely loved having Aditya on the show here. And I would like to say a big thank you to him for giving up the time today to appear on the show. And good luck on the journey ahead. If you would like to see more from Aditya, you can follow him on Twitter at Aditya, A-D-E-E-T-I-Y-A. Likewise, I'd love to see this conversation moving. Find me on Twitter at Abhinit Says and chime in with your views. Until next time, I'm your host, Abhinit Kumar, and you listened to Lockdown with Kumar. Thank you.